Let's, let's pray. Father, we worship you. We bless you. We thank you. We give our gratitude to you. We honor you. You are a great and a mighty and a loving and a caring and a compassionate God. And as we look forward to a new year, a new opportunity, we pray that each one of us, in whatever way that means for each one of us, that we would take a step closer to you, whatever that means, in 2024. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Well, I hope you had a great Christmas. We did, did you? Yeah, we did. I got the grandkids and everything. It's, it was awesome. And now we're on the cusp of a new year. And I remember when I was a reporter many years ago at the Chicago Tribune, we would do the same articles at the end of every year. As we're looking forward to a new year, we do articles about what were the biggest political stories of that year? What were the biggest, you know, entertainment stories? Um, um, what, what, what are the trends that, that we've noticed? What, what are the predictions for the coming year and so forth? And one of the stories we would always do is what are the most popular names for babies in that state in that year? Because it changes every year. So I actually saw an article in the local paper the other day about Texas in 2023, the most popular names for babies and for dogs. They have that now too. So now, you know, this is Texas. So I thought, you know, the most popular name for a dog would be Chief, you know, or, or Scout or something like that. Can anybody guess what the most popular name for a dog is? What was that? No, no, it, it, it's uh, Bella. Apparently, a lot of female dogs, because that means beautiful, right, in Italian, doesn't it? So, uh, apparently, a lot of female dogs. Bella, it's the most popular name. So, when you think of babies being named in 2023 in Texas, what do you think the most popular girl's name was? Bella. Bella. <laughs> good question. That's a good guess. It was Olivia. That's a pretty name. I like that. I got a granddaughter named Penelope. I love that name. I think that's a pretty name. Okay, you're not going to guess, I don't think, the boy's name. The most popular boy's name in the state of Texas in 2023. Can you guess what it is? What was that? Mohammed. Mohammed? No. <laughs> Liam. Liam. Apparently, that's the new trend is the name of Liam. Well, names are important to people, of course. If you've ever named a child or if you've ever named a dog, Names are important. In fact, we had an embarrassing thing happen a few years ago. We were doing a conference, and we printed up everybody's name tag in advance with their first name real big so people could greet each other. So people came into the conference. They got their name tag. They put it on. They went into the conference. We thought everything worked great until about halfway through the first day. And this woman came back up to the registration desk, and she was all upset. We said, what's wrong? And she said, my name has been misspelled. And we're thinking, okay, is that really a big deal? So, well, what's your name? He said, my name is Sylvia. And sure enough, she'd been walking around all day with a name tag that said saliva. <laughs> she was spitting mad, I'll tell you that. But, so names are important to people, but there are times as well when names are important to God. There are. In fact, in the very first book of the Bible, we meet a man by the name of Abram. Abram. But then in Genesis 17, verse 25, God says to Abram, you know what? That name is no longer going to do for you. Because Abram means the father of one family, one tribe, one clan. 
So I'm going to rename you Abraham, which means the father of a multitude of nations. And sure enough, centuries later, God fulfilled that promise on Christmas when Jesus was born through the line of Abraham and through Jesus, the entire world, a multitude of nations has been blessed. Now, the name Jesus has meaning too. If you had a first century Jewish um, baby book and you looked up Jesus and what it means, you would find that it means God saves. Well, that's appropriate, right? For the savior of the world, God saves. But today I want to emphasize two other aspects of the name of Jesus. The first is an observation from my friend uh, Max Lucado. He said, yeah, think about how absolutely extraordinarily ordinary the name of Jesus is. Amazingly common and ordinary the name Jesus was in the first century Jewish culture. In fact, in that time frame, right there in the first century, it was the sixth most popular boy's name. There were, were Jesuses all over the place. And Max said, you know, this would be like naming him today Pete or Nick or, or Sam or something, a very ordinary name. He said, you know, God could have named him something like Reverend Holiness Angelic Divinity III. And then everybody would have been intimidated by it, right? But instead, God gave him this common name of Jesus. And in fact, the very ordinariness of that name suggests his approachability. Because no one was ever reluctant to approach Jesus for fear of being rejected. But then there's another name for Jesus. It was predicted 700 years before he was born in Bethlehem. And it was repeated by the angel who appears to Joseph in Matthew 1, verse 23. And the angel says, look, a virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Emmanuel is not Jesus' middle name. It's a descriptive name because he is God with us. And so while the ordinariness of his name suggests his approachability, Emmanuel suggests his availability, his closeness, his proximity to us. So here's my point. As great of a miracle as Christmas was, and it is an absolutely extraordinary miracle, there is a continuing miracle of Christmas, and it's this. Jesus is still Emmanuel. He is still God with us. He is still approachable, and he is still available. In fact, the last words Jesus spoke before ascending into heaven in Matthew 28, verse 20, he said, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. This was brought home to me in a special way when I was a brand new Christian, brand new in the faith, and, and I was attending a church like this one up in Chicago area, and I, I come to this service, and the pastor gets up and he says, you know, just imagine something for a moment. Just imagine we're sitting here, and all of a sudden, through the doors of the auditorium, walks Jesus Christ. And all of us turn in our seats and we're in awe that Jesus is walking into this auditorium. And he scans the auditorium. He looks around and he sees you. And he comes right over to you and he looks you in the face. What is the first thing you would say to Jesus? And I thought, oh my goodness, what would I say? That I love you? Thank you for 
the sacrifice you made so I could be reconciled with God forever? What, what is the purpose of my life? What's the, what's, the, what's the main thing you want me to do in serving you in my life? I mean, what's the first thing you would say if that happened to you? And then the pastor said, well, you know what? Jesus is here. So whatever you want to say to him, whatever you want to tell him, tell him because he's listening. And I thought, of course, of course, he is here. He is present. He is aware. He is listening. He is watching. The spirit of Jesus is with us when we're at home, when we're at work, when we're in traffic. But as basic as that truth is, it often slips our mind. And we often live as if Jesus is not really present with us. So today I want to focus on this truth by talking about three implications of the fact that God is not some distant, detached, disinterested deity, but that he is God with us. He is Emmanuel, and he will walk with us right into this new year of 2024. So what are the implications of that? The first implication is this. Every time we stumble, God knows it. And that's sobering. Every time we stumble, in other words, every time we take an ethical shortcut at work, every time we have a, a bit of a moral failure, failure in our life, God is aware of it. God knows about it. I was reminded about this. I was reading a book called America's Least Competent Criminals. <laughs> and it's, it's full of true stories about really dumb thieves and, and other criminals. And one of the stories, true stories, about a 25-year-old guy in Rhode Island, and he was arrested. He was a suspect in a series of vending machine break-ins. They had a bunch of vending machines that were broken into. They arrest this guy. They didn't have a great case against him, but they had enough to charge him. And so they bring him before the judge, and the judge says, okay, I'm going to set your bond at $400. And with that, the suspect takes his backpack and opens it up and pours out $400 in quarters. <laughs> and all of a sudden, their case against him got that much stronger, right? And I was reading that thinking, you know, everybody's got to be dumb to be a criminal, right? Everybody's got to be, they're going to eventually get caught. Somebody is going to find them out. And then it hit me. How often do we fool ourselves into thinking we're getting away with something in our lives when we're not? It's like Moses Moses was going to murder an Egyptian soldier. And so in Exodus 2, verse 12, it says, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. In other words, he looked this way, he looked that way, the coast is clear, nobody's going to see me, I'm going to get away with this. But which way didn't he look? He didn't look up. He forgot that God is going to see him. And isn't that what we do? So often we tell a lie and we say to ourselves, oh, no, nobody's ever going to really find out the truth. Or we break a promise and we think, you know, I've, I've covered my tracks and nobody's going to find out. Or we slander someone on social media and we think, I think I covered my tracks. I don't think anybody's ever going to trace it back to me. But friends, ultimately, we don't get away with anything, with anything. Every time we stumble, even if others don't catch us, even if we think we pulled it off, even if we've carefully covered our tracks, God knows. Hebrews 4, verse 13. 
It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, even though we must, we often know in our heads that God is omnipresent, he is here, he knows what's going on, we live our days in and out, uh, you know, ignoring that truth. And so what should we do in light of this reality that God knows when we stumble? I think Jesus would offer a two-word answer. Fess up. Just fess up. I mean, just be honest enough to come clean with God. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you received his free gift of forgiveness and eternal life, as he has adopted you as his son or his daughter into his kingdom forever, he doesn't disown you when you have a moral stumble in your life, when you fail ethically or whatever. Just like you don't disown your children when they mess up a bit, right? But what does it do? It puts a strain on our relationship. It puts tension into our relationship with God. I mean, we see that in human relationships. Let's say that you're a mom or you're a dad and you have a teenage son. And you tell your teenage son, hey, it's, it's uh, New Year's Eve. I don't want you going to that party at your friend Billy's house. You are forbidden to go to that party because I know what's going to go on at that party. So you forbid your child from going to that party. But then you find out later, he went to the party. But he doesn't know that you know that he went to the party. And so next morning, you see him, you say, hey, so, um, what'd you do last night? And he says, um, I went bowling. A couple of us went out, we went out bowling. Really? How'd you do? Well, I did pretty well. I broke 200 in, in one game, and that was pretty good for me. Oh, Okay. You were gone an awful long time for bowling. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, we, we had to wait around a long time to get an alley. It's, it was New Year's Eve and a lot of parties in the bowling alley and so forth, so it took some time. And it goes on like that, and what does this cover-up do to your relationship with your child? It adds tension, doesn't it? It adds strain in your relationship. Let's face it, in the end, you're probably more upset about his continuing cover-up, his refusal to fess up, than you are about his original crime of going to the party that you told him not to go to. Don't you just want him to respect you enough to say, Mom or Dad, I hate to admit this, but I did something that you told me not to do. I went to the party. I know I shouldn't have. I know that you're going to discipline me for it, but that's the truth. Isn't that what we want? Well, our refusal to fess up to what God already knows that we've done puts strain on our relationship with God. And yet, listen to Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Friends, when we stumble... God just wants us to come to him and say, I know that you know what I did. And I just want to be straight with you and tell you I'm sorry because I don't want any friction in our relationship. I don't want any deceit in our relationship. I don't want any strain in our relationship. And so no excuses, no pretending, no rationalizing. I did it. I'm sorry. I want to make it right. Help me do that. And thank you, Lord, that you are compassionate in the midst of my messing up. 
So whenever we stumble in 2024, God already knows it. So let's just do, let's just fess up. Let's just fess up because when we do that, what do we find? We find forgiveness and we find compassion and our relationship with God stays strong. The second implication of this continuing miracle of God's presence in our life is this. Every time we struggle, God feels it. And that's encouraging. Every time we struggle in life, God feels it. Because God isn't just God with us in the sense that he has proximity to us. It's also because he actually became one of us on Christmas Day. So we're knit together by this common experience of walking the earth and living life. And because Jesus walked the earth, because he lived here on our planet, we can feel confident that he has a special sensitivity and an empathy when we bring him our struggles and our wounds and our pain. For instance, if we're feeling rejected, Jesus experienced rejection. At his time of his greatest need, his friends walked away. He was, he was mocked. He was, he was put to death. He was rejected. If you're feeling betrayed, well, he was betrayed as well. If you're mourning a loss in your life that you feel like you can't bear, Jesus wept over the death of his friend Lazarus. If you're tied up with anxiety and, and you just can't seem to get past the anxiety, Jesus can relate to that. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was executed, his anxiety was so great it caused the blood capillaries in his sweat glands to break down and he literally sweat blood. So he knows what anxiety is. And when we're tempted, Jesus can relate to that. Hebrews 4, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. And then listen to verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We'll find hope. We'll find grace I remember when I was a pastor at a church in Chicago, I, I, and I got a Christmas card from a woman in the congregation who I didn't know. And she had a note in the Christmas card, and in that note she explained how a short time before Christmas, her husband of 30 years had walked out on her and on her four kids. So a huge blow to them and to the family. But she said, do you know what saved me? said, my husband walked out, but Jesus walked in. And she found a God who understands her pain and frustration and emotions because he lived in the same environment that we did. And as she leaned on him and as she leaned at the people in his church and got their support, she said this, they have proven faithful. And so what should we do when we struggle? You know, the human tendency is to cover up our pain or refuse to acknowledge it or to medicate it with too much food or too much alcohol or too much sleep or, or we withdraw into our work and, and bury ourselves in our work. But I think Jesus would offer a two-word prescription for this too. I think he would say, open up. Open up. 
I think he's saying, draw near to me with confidence. Open up about what you're going through. Because in me, you find encouragement and healing and hope and grace. And open up to my people. That's what my church is about. It's about serving each other, loving each other, helping each other. When we have a crisis, this ought to be the place we go to, to find hope and healing. Friends, I don't know if you're struggling as we go into 2024. I know a lot of people are in a lot of different ways. But if you are, remember that every time you struggle, God feels it. And that ought to be encouraging. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. You'll find hope and healing in him. And then finally, the third implication of this continuing miracle of God's presence is this. Every time we serve someone in need, God is pleased. God is pleased. And that ought to be motivating. That ought to be motivating. I mean, let me make it clear. We don't become a Christian because we do nice things to other people. We don't become a Christian because we do good deeds and God rewards us by opening the gates of heaven. That's not the teaching of Scripture. The teaching of Scripture is that our good deeds cannot earn us our way into heaven. They don't compensate for the sins that we've all committed. The Bible says that redemption, eternal life, is a free gift of God's grace that we receive in a prayer of repentance and faith. And yet, when we do that, when we're adopted by God into his kingdom, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, we begin to see people differently, and we begin to have an increasing desire to see other people as God sees them, as people who matter to him, or people who are made in his image. And it causes us to want to serve people who are in need. And when we do that, God is pleased. In fact, Ephesians 6 verse 8 says this, the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do. God will reward you someday for whatever good that you do in his name. You see, Jesus' teachings in this area were absolutely revolutionary in the world. No religious leader had ever taught what Jesus taught in Matthew 7, verse 12, when he gave us the golden rule. You know the golden rule. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. No religious leader had ever taught that on the planet. Before then, religious leaders only offered a negative form of the golden rule. For instance, 500 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Confucius said, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Do you see the difference there? It's a negative form. To comply with Confucius's teaching, basically all you have to do is don't go around punching people in the face. Okay, you've achieved what Confucius said you ought to do. Or to comply with Confucius teaching, if you own a car, all you'd have to do is don't run anybody over. Or don't get drunk and cross the center line. And you comply with this negative teaching. But Jesus flipped that on its head. And he encouraged a selfless generosity. So, for example, if you own a car and someone needs a ride, you give it to them. If the widow down the block um, needs someone to take her to the grocery store, 
take her to the grocery store. Give her a ride. We would look for ways you could serve other people in a way that you would want them to serve you. You see the difference? And you know what? The Bible says God will reward us as we do that. Plain and simple, doing for others what you would want them to do for you is an act of the will. We have to decide day by day to consciously apply ourselves to living that out despite all the things in the world that work against us. Because otherwise our busyness can cause the world to just flash by in such a blur that we don't don't pause long enough to consider the needs of other people. Or sometimes we get intimidated into inaction because we see the mountain of needs in this world. And we feel whatever we do, it's just not going to make a difference. It's not going to have an impact. It is so easy to forget this fundamental truth that no expression of compassion to another human being is ever a wasted effort. I was reminded of this over the holidays. I was reading um, part of a book written by a, a Christian writer by the name of Susan Kidd. And here's what she wrote. She said, it happened years ago on one of those raw December days that make people wish they had done their Christmas shopping in July. Snowflaked winds whipped through the streets. Hunched on a sidewalk bench sat an unshaven man. He wore a threadbare jacket and shoes with no socks. He had folded a paper bag around his neck to keep out the biting wind. Well, one shopper paused, saddened by the man. Such a pity, she thought, but there was nothing really she could do. And while that shopper lingered, a little girl, 11 or 12 years old, walked by and she spotted the frostbitten figure on the bench. Wrapped around the girl's neck was a bright woolen scarf. She stopped beside the old man unwrapped her red scarf and draped it tenderly around his neck. And the child slipped away and the man rubbed the warm wool. And the shopper crept away, wishing she had been the one to give the scarf. And then she wrote this. I was that shopper. And God taught me something that day. Wherever I am, whatever I possess, there is always something that I can give. A touch, a smile, a prayer, a kind word, even a scarf. Friends, sometimes I think we, got, we feel like we've got to change the world to make a difference. And yet, just in the course of everyday life, from common courtesies to going out of our way to help people in need, doing to others what you would want them to do for you changes. It makes an impact. It changes them. And I'm telling you, it changes us too. It changes us too. I remember vividly something that happened to me in springtime when I was in the fifth grade. And uh, each day before, we had two recesses a day in the fifth grade. And each day before recess, 
the captain of the kickball team would choose a team to play kickball during recess. That was a big thing we do is play kickball. Well, there were two boys in that fifth grade class who were consistently shunned by the other students, consistently ostracized by the other students. One of them was named Jerry. He was kind of a computer nerd before they invented computers. You know, he had thick glasses. He had kind of a high-pitched voice. He was terribly uncoordinated. And then there was Billy. Billy was overweight. Billy had failed the fifth grade twice before. And nobody hung out with them. In fact, they didn't even hang out with each other. So one day, the teacher sent Jerry and Billy out on an errand. And while they were gone, she turned to us in the class and she said, you know, twice a day, you choose sides for kickball. And every time, Jerry and Billy are picked last. So I know you're not intending to hurt them. But why not try something different for a change? Why not do for them what you would want them to do for you? Well, the next day, I was the captain for the kickball team, which means I had to pick the team. And I'm telling you what, I don't remember much about the fifth grade. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Um, I don't remember what books we read. I don't know what subjects we studied. I can't even remember what the classroom looked like. But it, now it's 60 years later. And if I close my eyes right now, I can see Jerry's face and this look of surprise and joy and excitement on his face when I picked him first to be on my team. And I could see the face of Billy, surprised and joyful and excited when the other captain picked him first too. Did we change the world that day? No, we didn't change the world, but change me. Change me. And you know what? If you were to, I bet you, I'm just betting you, if you found Jerry and Billy today, 60 years later, and you asked them about that incident in the spring in fifth grade in 1963, I bet you they'd remember. I bet you they would. All we did was treat them with dignity. All we did was treat them the way we knew they would treat us if we had our way. And that's what we decide to do every day. We make the decision 100 times a day when we encounter waiters and waitresses and colleagues and competitors and neighbors and friends and bosses and employees and blue-collar laborers and white-collar executives and people in trouble or people just muddling through life. As we choose to serve them, to treat them the way we would want to be treated, God is pleased. God is pleased. And you know what? Not that we do this for this reason, but the Bible says God will reward us someday for every one of these gestures of love that we express to someone else. Proverbs 11 verse 18 says, the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. And so what would Jesus say to this if he were here today? You know what I think he would say? I think he would look around Woodlands Church, and I think the words that he would say would be, keep it up. Keep it up. 
Those of you who attend here, those of you who are part of this church, those of you who serve, those of you who give, keep it up. Because God uses this church as his way of impacting our community with his love and grace and the practical help that people need to get by. For example, just in 2023, this church provided 1,800 meals to homeless people and provided them with 600 care packages. We provided Christmas to 2,575 children. We gave 2,200 kids backpacks for school. We provided 2,700 needed items to 300 kids in the foster care system. We supported 150 single moms and dads with classes in childcare. We spent 1,300 volunteer hours helping the elderly in five assisted living centers. Get this, in all, you, you, this church, devoted more than 12,000 volunteer hours serving the needy in our community. And get this, get this. Just at our Christmas services alone, 561 people were led into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and their life in eternity was transformed. And I think Jesus would say, keep it up. Keep it up. This is a great church. I'm not on the staff of this church. I'm not a pastor here at this church. So I'm, this, is, this is not about me. This is about us. It's about all of us together expressing the love and grace of God to people in need in our community. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So if you're part of this church, if you attend, which obviously you do, if you serve, if you give, if you pray for this church, I believe you're going to share in that reward someday. I mean, just imagine Jesus standing over your shoulder and cheering you on and saying, you just wait. You just wait for the day when I settle the accounts because great will be your reward in heaven. So keep your eyes on Jesus as he keeps his eyes on you in 2024. Remember this continuing miracle of Christmas, that he is available, that he is approachable. And so let our decisions and our behavior and our attitudes reflect that. Because remember, the Bible says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And so in 2024, my prayer for you is that's what you will do. You will draw nearer to God than you have ever been in your life. And you will find joy and encouragement, that you will find hope, that you will find healing, that you will find purpose, that you will find courage. That's my prayer for you for 2024. I hope it's the greatest year of your life. And I hope the love of God fills you up and spills out into the way that you treat others in the way you would have them treat you. So let's pray. Father, that is my prayer. That is my prayer. That as each of us walk into this new year, that we would draw closer to you than ever before. And we know as we do that, you will draw closer to us. Because if you are with us, who can be against us? And in you, we will find peace and hope and purpose and encouragement. 
Use us in 2024 to be salt and light to this dreary world. Use this church as an expression of your love and grace to people all around. And we will give you all of the honor and all of the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, now it's time in the service when we receive our weekly gifts and offerings. And I just want to say, I hope we can do this in a way of worshiping the Lord, continuing our worship of God. If you're a visitor with us, if you're here and you're just kind of checking things out or whatever, this is not for you. This service is our gift to you. We hope you receive it in that spirit. But if you're part of this church, this is an opportunity to fuel what God is doing here in the way that I talked about earlier. So if you prefer to give, um, if you prefer to give electronically, you can go to wc.org and just click the Give tab. But now the ushers have come forward. They're going to receive the offering. And we hope you give with gratitude and with the prayer that God will use these resources for his glory. So let me pray for the offering. Father, thank you for the love and consistent giving of those who are part of Woodlands Church. Thank you for the leadership of this church and the way in which they steward these resources to reach people with your gospel of redemption and hope and to serve people who are far from you and need your love and grace. We worship you because you are a powerful, loving God. We thank you that you will be with us every step of the way in 2024. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless y'all. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.